Welcome to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast. I'm your host, Kojo Buffum, and this podcast is an extension of my book, also called Listen to Your Footsteps, which is a collection of essays, reflections, and poetry on things like fatherhood, identity and belonging, growing up, creativity, and the lessons learned. The purpose of this podcast is to gain insight and learn from the journeys that others have taken. I explore the worlds of art, culture, design, business, creativity, and life from the perspective of Africans who are contributing to the redefinition of the continent and who we are. My guest for this episode is very simply a storyteller who tells stories primarily through the medium of photography. His name is Leroy Jason. Leroy, what up? Yo! That's as quick an intro as you can get, right? That's a good intro. That's <laughs> short and sweet. Um, you know, um, knowing myself as a, a storyteller is very important because um, part of what I do as a photographer is not only document, um, you know, people and people's behavior. Um, and archive is, is is very much part of parcel of of what I'm about. You know? Uh, a lot of photographers are in for for the instant fame and 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 fortune, but a lot of them forget about the idea of, of building an, a credible archive that would serve um, serve for the generations that that are to come, not for the ones that already exist right now. But it's kind of like we attach we attach a lot of importance to let's call it the label or the title. Um, you know, I always tell people one of the hardest questions for me to answer is what do you do? Because when people ask you what you do, the assumption is a, let's call it a job title, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and when I look at, you know, when I look at your work and when I look at your trajectory, yes, you do photography, you make photographs, but it, always, it has always felt so much more than that, which is why I think this idea of storyteller for me fits it feels like it fits more for me personally but it feels like it fits perfectly for you no it does um you know uh you know why i say this is because obviously i was i was birthed in a in a home where a photographer you know, a very big photographer existed and um i also ran away from the idea of living in my father's shadow for many years um and in order for me to to come to terms with what it is that I do, because you know, photography was birthed in anthropology. Um, out of all the out of all the disciplines that it was birthed in, it is very significant that it was birthed in this in, in this um, institution, um, because the the usage of uh, of your camera or the usage of the idea of documenting people and their stories started coming around. Um, around in that in that kind of space and and, um, and understanding the more i knew that the, the more i i tried to use my photography to help so initially when i started photography it was there to change people's perceptions of themselves that's why a lot of my my portraits i'm i'm always more engaged with how my subject reacts versus what i'm doing it for mm-hmm. you know um you know it's very important for me to to show a version of yourself that you've never seen before. And that the most honest that is, and I feel like more people can relate to that. And then obviously it set me on this journey of trying to find incredible stories. Um, I once did a series of work on like a hundred year old people in South Africa. Wow. And, um, trying to find, find the, 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 the understanding and, and, and uh, the meaning to living a fulfilled life. You know, you would think that, and which is true, you know, sometimes sitting under your grad, you know, sitting next to your grandmother, even if she's not saying anything, but their wisdom just feels like it just gets poured onto you. It was the type of effect that I was looking for when when going searching um, city to city for 100-year-old people. And also just listening to their stories of what a fulfilled life is like or a happy life is is like, or the secret to living a long life is like. Uh, And those are the things that you uncover in this journey while while working in your career as a photographer. I mean, you've mentioned that you grew up in in a house or you grew up under a a photographer. 
um, and a well-respected and acknowledged photographer. But did you always want to be a photographer? Funny enough, uh, no. So I wanted to be a cop, but because my father was always getting abused, <laughs> and like, um, uh, you know, being a, a a a cop in you know in apartheid was was not really seen as as a profession that a lot of other black photographers wanted. I mean, mm. like so Alf Kamala. I mean, my father was harassed by cops, constantly arrested. Uh, there was a story once where he was arrested with Bishop Tutu and, you know, they beat, beat him and Bishop Tutu up, um, you know. So when I said I want to be a cop, the first thing he, he, he was infuriated by, like, almost like, you know, because it's post-traumatic stress, right? Yeah. Um, and, and he brought a lot of that back into the household. And that's why I was always very afraid of, of going into hardcore journalism um, because I was, I was scared of those effects. Um, coming back into the household, so that's why I kind of chose also the commercial, the, the commercial direction because of two reasons. One of the the harshness of like working condition. The second one was um, uh, the second one was because black photographers at that time could never be commercial photographers as much as they had possessed all the skills and, and knowledge about how to capture them. They were always forced into two different fields, art or journalism. And if you weren't making money as an artist, then you would, you would obviously be sustained or be, you know, your, your art was be sustained in the journalistic field. And um, so obviously I used a lot of like, old photographers and I used that aesthetic to bring into the commercial space. At, at what point did you then decide actually you're going to go into what is essentially the family business? I mean, so you, you go from cop, where did you grow up actually? Mm. So I grew up in Cape Town, in a small town called Montana. Okay. Mm. This was built based on uh, the displacement of people out of District 6. So all the people that got most of the people who got moved out of District 6 lived in uh, or got moved to Montana. Mm. So what happened was, um, as a really funny story. So I left Cape Town in pursuit of this like new idea of self. And then I, then I went to Pretoria to study marketing for a bit. I didn't finish it there. Then I went to Park Town, um, Park Town College to try and finish it there. Then I, I couldn't, and and then I then I got catapulted into like obviously uh, the the work or, or trying to work because obviously I really had money to pay for my education. So what we did were so I did was I just picked up a job and I started working like every other South African. Um, you know the first job space that most South Africans go into is the call center space, which later on became one of my biggest uh, advantages because now I can sell myself on the show. Mm. But um, at the time I thought it was useless. And then I got into a bit of, when, when I got strong into marketing, I opened an advertising agency, a mobile advertising agency with my, with my cousin um, and Chaba. And these were, were obviously assisted by People owned herd boys and they put us into the refinery. They were our first investors. And we we started this company, but we didn't have any customers. Okay, wait, wait. So let me let me stop you there. How do you go like you've you've done a jump from call center to all of a sudden owning your own agency? Yeah, because I mean uh, that's exactly what happened. I we I I worked at the call center and I started finding myself going up in the rank in the sense that we we started doing a lot of marketing, searching for clients for the actual call center itself. And then I just got into dealing directly with with clients. And then I was like, look, I can I can easily do this. I'm 26 years old. Um, the world feels like it's in the palm of my hands and jumping from this career to the next would be an easy thing. Lo and behold, it wasn't. I mean, we went through moments of such long periods of brokenness that I was forced to use <laughs> photography to keep our um, my partners at least eating. 
during this time. So I'll be working with clubs, um, the famous bank club. Uh, Chris and hired me for to be a, the resident photographer there. At the time, there was only uh, Thunder.com photography, which was like these little mm. cell phone photog- <laughs> uh, photographs. I mean, I've been shooting DSLR cameras since the age of 16. I was the youngest photographer in Soweto doing back page babes at the age of 16. So I was like, in Cape Town, that was, that, that's what I was known for. Meeting beautiful women and then taking them to the beach and then taking photos of them. I'm 16, I'm taking like 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds. So obviously my social life was like up there. And uh, <laughs> supplying store off to a lot of old guys. And because of that, they, they led me into a lot of the boys' club. Um, it's unfortunate that Superpower has died. A lot of photographers, a lot of guys come to me and ask me things that I still have. These powers would die. You know, after after two kids, those powers tend to disappear by force. <laughs> so and, and I suspect I sus- oh, sorry I suspect at the same time because I mean we've interacted a couple of times um, and I don't know if you find this but as we grow older and we mature we start to look we start to look back on some of the things that we did and some of the thinking and that that in itself is one starts to recognize what was problematic and what wasn't right this is true this is true but I mean you know being being young young comes with the idea that you know um you know you don't necessarily have to make all the the mature decisions the Mm. problem is when you want to be young forever you know Mm. and never make mature decisions and and have no sense of um um uh uh, what's the what's the term Uh, um you know good decision making or cognitive or emotive emotive decision-making. Mm. So, um, so I was saying that, so then I started doing photography at clubs, but then I practiced like lighting and, and it was more about, and people enjoyed my photography because it wasn't just about the lighting experience, but also people felt like their new profile pictures were, were discovered in that, that moment. It was the birth of social media and, and things like profile pictures became like the highlight of what I did. Even though I also took that 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 study of people and, and how they interact with social media into my business. So it made sense. It's just that I couldn't um, sustain that part of my, my, my working career because I, I felt like I needed to made, make a decision because I wasn't making meetings anymore. I wasn't showing up on Mondays at work because I would be exhausted from the weekend. Um, then I obviously I fully decided to let go of that one business and then I leave it to my cousin and, and my business, my other business partner to, to, uh, run with. And then I went to submerge myself fully into photography, but then I had to make the conscious decision. If I'm going to do this, what am I going to do? So what I did was that for my first big check, um, from SABC, I, I traveled to the Philippines and I lived there for two years. Um, it was, it was a hard decision to make because I wasn't making any money, but luckily I, I was seeing a a person that was, was looking after me at that point in time. And, and, and I was just making decisions purely based on my heart and what I wanted for myself. But while I was out there, I realized that, um, my work in South Africa is, is where my, my, or Africa is where my my focus should lie. There's so much that needs to be done. And, and when I say done, I don't mean documented, documenting, but the idea that I'm going to use photography to help social ills, help individuals see themselves as, as God, see themselves as, as something that is, 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 is way greater than the natural lighting aesthetic that they've always chosen for, for Africans. And, and and the African aesthetic, trying to change the narrative of that completely by using one individual at a time. Whilst going through this journey, I then realized that the actual equipment is wasn't enough. So I needed to use lighting. And that's how I ended up in the commercial space. I mean, it's how do you find that balance? Because one of the things that I wanted to highlight and one of the things that 
always comes through with your work if you look at the let's call it the full spectrum of it right as opposed to just a snapshot is your relationship with let's call it um people or communities who feel like they live on the edges and not necessarily marginalized but yeah i guess marginalized also works as a as a word but you know th- there's people who are not necessarily in the mainstream and and are struggling to be heard and be seen and you seem to have a way of sharing them and allowing them to share of themselves that is very different from you know there's one it's one thing if i go in and i'm let's say i'm giving a voice and i'm attempting to give a voice to a particular community but i'm not part of that community with you it always feels like you're part of it i mean like with fismas fall you weren't a student but you were documenting it and you were sharing in 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 a way that made it feel like you were a student and you were part of that community ah uh, yeah that's and that, and that's the part of my journalism the, that you know when i i was fortunate like i said to to have grown up in in the house of of photographer but also having full access to other homes of like very famous photographers so sitting in in their lounges going through their references going through their archives but um you know by chance because my father's got come to visit them or listening to how they go about documenting things um and then practicing it um when my father goes you know i remember once my dad took me to my first real um in emotionally like charged environment that i've ever been in was at the age of 12 my do- my dad took me to a pig farm out in Ottery and the farmer had obviously made these his laborers live like pigs as well like it was disgusting beyond anything like people living in like a four bedroom house but there's 12 or 18 people living in that space um you know all of them still covered in like feces or like whatever it is that they feed the uh, the pigs um but that smell and that stench and they weren't even paying them so they were playing paying them on the top system so i imagine mm. so he was documenting this top top system and i was meant to go inside of these dark alleys these dark houses trying to photograph and make make portraits of uh, other people that live in there i couldn't do it i remember just just standing outside of the house and just asking myself how does my father do this every day um you know uh and and, and part and parcel of, of the trick of of capturing or documenting uh, people's existences is to make sure that you are a part of understanding their struggles understanding respecting the subject is is usually how the the you know the narrative usually starts it comes with a lot of respect comes with a lot of understanding or or not even understanding but it's submerging oneself into that without uh being judgmental being completely objective um and then fast forward to that to like a very violent space which was which was Eugene Blanche's funeral um and and I was like uh I was like late like but mid mid 20s when that happened um and I went there with my father I remember it was the first time I actually been in a violent space you know um and and how to deal with that uh that gave me preparation for what I was going to experience at adverts you know um it was the the pure the reason why I went out to document it was because I just kept on seeing the narrative that media was pumping versus versus what I kept hearing on the on the ground hmm. then I decided look let me go and and try this out and then I got fixated with it then I spent seven weeks week after week not getting paid like all the other journalists like it was literally I lost I think about eight jobs whilst on that in the field trying to document this every day and posting it online um which is great because i gave people the the ability to see how things escalated instead of it just being a you know a, a sensationalized um experience it was actually 
I, I posted exactly how the day progressed. Hmm. Um, and because of that, it gave me the opportunity to work for, for uh, a political um, party. But but I, I did that because I worked with the EFF because I really want to change the narrative and bring the, the human element into a lot of a, a lot of the, the the subject matters that I work on is always to bring the human element into it. Um, I, I don't involve myself in politics, but I involve myself in what it takes for people to recognize each other. You know, seeing God in others helps helps clarity and, and, and decision-making a bit better amongst ourselves, in, introspectively, um, interpersonal uh, decision-making happens around them. And that's why my body of work was was centered, centered around that, um, on everything that's for. Um, so, but, but that is, that is a, that, that was a part of me, which I still take with me in all the other, all the other work that I do commercially. And I think one thing that I enjoy right now is that like big organizations see that my, my agenda still stands and that's bringing the human element into everything that I do. Um, and you know, if people use that to sell cars, then so be it. But, but at least the, 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 the archive is still not compromised. And the thread is the, th- the thread and the positioning is consistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, t- you talk, so you talk about your father quite a bit in terms of the influence. What, what has it been like now kind of going, okay, you're fully in, in the family business. In inverted commas. And I, and I say this because I, like I worked for my father from 12 till I was like 28, 29. Um, and and it, it makes for interesting dynamics. And we lived in the same house, you know, at the same time. So like our, our bedrooms were opposite each other and then we'd get into our cars and drive to, our, drive to the office and our offices were next to each other. Yo. And then how was the, did he trust you with, with decision making? Then I'm like, absolutely. So that, that part wasn't, that wasn't the struggle. Um, I'd say the struggle was just kind of finding a balance between, you know, let's call it between work and home. Because I, because I grew up working with him from a business perspective, from a, a process perspective, from a decision-making perspective, that wasn't a hassle. It was, it was more a hassle when, for example, I want to hit the streets on a Saturday night and he wants to hang out. Um, or one of my, uh, which I write about in my book, like one of my realizations was my moving to Joburg was one of the biggest disappointments for him because I was groomed to take over the family businesses. Um, but at the same time, eventually it was great for our relationship because we eventually reached a point where we could have conversations that were not about business solely. Because before that, you know, business and work consumed all of our lives. Therefore, even our conversations were tended to be focused around, around business. Whereas in my leaving, my leaving home and then settling in Joburg and eventually kind of getting married and having kids, you know, we could get on the phone and talk about other stuff. It sounds like there's a, you know, there's a definitely a a common thread with me as well. Like I, but, but I mean, it's it's a bit harder now because because obviously the dynamics the dynamics have changed in in the industry for black people. You know, now you know more black photographers or content creators are needed and and celebrated. Hmm. Um, it's it's frustrating that some of that some of the the older photographers that have kind of created this platform for us um, and 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 given us the ability and, and confidence in in the way in which we shoot that we're not because corporates don't want to celebrate them they want to kind of celebrate these new new ones you know um, uh, and, and I get that but a lot of young photographers and I've noticed are very dis displaced because of that like they they tend to um not really find their own voice because a lot of the the idols that they idolize or or being or being taught 
about um, how to take photographs or make photographs um, have all been either European or like a Western way of thinking. And, 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 and a lot of their aesthetic leans towards that. And they, they seem, a lot of South African ones, very displaced, you know. Um, mm. But, but with, with my dad being a photographer, sometimes it's a bit frustrating because you would, I, I would want so much more from him, you know. Um, but I forget that he's also just an artist and he's also disgruntled and he's also gone through so much to get where he is that I, that I, I tend to forget that, that part, you know. Um, but I'm also very happy that, because uh, there's always been this ongoing debate about being the type of photographer that buys their own equipment and those who like rent equipment. And the thing is, a lot of black photographers are always meant to believe that they need to buy their own equipment in order for them to, to say that they are a photographer. Mm. But if you find a lot of progressive photographers rent a lot of their, their gear because it gives them the ability to, to work on different cameras, different, um, different gear constantly. Um, because, you know, when you buy something, then you're kind of stuck to use a Nikon. Yeah. And that's it. Whereas when you're renting gear, then you have the ability to jump from Nikon, Canon. You can try out, um, you know, a phase one, which is a medium format camera that you probably wouldn't be able to afford. It's there for, at a fraction of the price, you know. So, so there, there's this, the, the times have changed, you know, and there's, there's different ways to kind of get to the business aspect of photography because a lot of a, a lot of white photographers um, who have got given the privilege of, of making money in in those times um, prior to you know uh, the, the the abolishment of, of apartheid and, and the way media works a lot of a lot of them had private you know um, went to private schools or sent their kids to private schools off of photography. You can make a shitload of money. Sorry for my language. You can make a really a, a large amount of money um, from photography. It's just that how you go about doing it is is where it is where the tricky balance is, you know. And and that and that argument with my father will always will always be back and forth. You know? hmm. um, you know, it's the old school way versus the new school way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, generations, like every generation thinks that next one is messing up, right? And every yeah. every generation feels like the one before it is, doesn't doesn't quite get it. Um, but I think you highlighted a very interesting point there around this idea of ownership. Um, because I've been having this the conversation in amongst friends when it comes to property. Um, because it feels like within a South African context, there's, there's this drive to, you know, own property, like own your own house. And, mm. and, and the conversation I was having with someone was, cause I grew up, you know, I grew up in Lesotho, we owned our, our own place and it's not a, you know, it wasn't a thing to go and buy, to, to buy a house or to build a house. Uh, whereas it's important to recognize from a South African context that because black people were denied ownership for so long, it's become, you know, it's, it's, it's become one of the milestones. Um, and it was interesting in having this conversation because I was like, I don't have that. It's, you know, like I rent, I rent where I stay and I've been renting for a while. And it's like, well, I do that because that's where I am. But at the same time, in contemplating, because we're living in, you know, in such a connected world and contemplating perhaps even moving eventually, it's like, well, if I own a place that actually holds me down. Um, so I thought it was very interesting when you talk about like that, the, the ownership of equipment and how that actually to a certain extent um, boxes you. Yeah, no, it definitely does. But I mean... I, you know, this property conversation is something that my cousin and I also have. Because I believe in, in owning nothing will... Initially, when I... Before I owned pro property, I was like, I, I need to make a decision if I'm going to be in South Africa, then I, then I will be able to, like, put my energy into, into owning that property. But the thing is, once you 
buy a, a you know property, you can do whatever you want. You could rent it out and you can allow it to to mature on its own. Um, there's there's so many so many things that, that can go into that. But but you're right. Is that there's this there's this constant debate about ownership and where 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 should your interest lie? In. I think uh, when it comes to our type of our type of careers, because we don't have um, retirement packages that when we're done working, then you know we have to really invest our money in different things, um, assets, uh, artwork, and uh, things that will appreciate um, over time. Because sooner or later we won't be able to you know run around or do the do the things that we need to. Lockdown taught us that that like another epidemic can also come and, mm-hmm. and your career could be on pause for so long. Now, I saw a lot of people have their fourth fifth property sold at that point in time to kind of give them um, a bit of an income or a, a bit of surety that they, their, their lifestyle won't change too mm-hmm. drastically. Um, but when it comes to, when, when, it, when it comes to Ownership in photography, there's there's two different spaces that you definitely, definitely need to always keep your eye on is your archives. And and your archives is one of the biggest things. I mean, that if you do if you're doing things right now and you don't realize that 20 years from now, this book, this this documentation that you're you're doing would amount to any, would amount to anything, then you are so you're going to you're not going to one respect the stuff that you've been doing, and you're looking for that instant gratification. But number two is also that um, other people flourish, and you know then you end up going out like most other Af- you know African artists in our country, where it's like going out as a pauper, you know, and those are the things that. That I really it keeps me up at night. You know, it's like how do I, how do I place myself in positions where those things aren't going to, aren't going to happen. Um, and so ownership into property, ownership into the, my gear, uh, the type of gear because I keep a lean, a lean, um, a, a, a lean like. Um, what is it? Package of gear because mm-hmm. I mean, I've just got like a couple of location location kits just so that I can just kind of move around when I need to um, I don't want to be tied down by any studio or like you know that's something I could never do it's like renting out studio space I did that once that thing is horrible if you're not if it's not managed correctly yeah I only saw in Ghana when I just come back from um, from Ghana is that the the photography space is a different business entity altogether. If people own and rent a studio, a lot of people always think that their money would, would lie in advertising and they're trying to push that. But there's a bubble of, of um, there's a bubble or a, a little, what do they call those? Like little pocket of, of uh, cash on like personal photography from graduation to people to weddings. You know, weddings to like personal portraits. Yeah family portraits, you know, those sort of things that there's a lot of money in there. Um, it just, it takes a lot of work and a lot of manpower, but it is a lot of money in that, that space. I remember when, before I went into commercial, that was the only space I kind of made money. And I mean, I was making what, 40,000 a month. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that is what I took home as profit after, mm-hmm. uh, after all of, all of the things I needed to pay off. But at the time I wasn't paying, paying tax as well. But now I am. So I will put that on record. (laughs) 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 That I've got a very strict um, policy on paying tax. But but before that, I mean, I was walking easily away with 40,000, 30,000 a month. Um, Guaranteed, you know. So with that said, it it depends on how you want to play this game, you know, from a photography point of view. uh, how you'd wanna, how you'd want to sit, but you also remember that your the value of your images now versus the value of your images twenty years from now 
it's two different things. Because I play for the long game. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm here. Um, I'm here to document things and, and do what I'm doing purely to survive the long game. Because I see how my father operates sometimes. He's broke, and he's got uh, Nelson Mandela kissing Nelson Mandela kissing a, a, a Beyonce image that, that was sold for fifty uh, to fifty to sixty thousand USDs. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm. So, and then you don't have any money. I mean, I had that sometimes where I, I don't have, I don't have work for about a month or two, and then I'll get a phone call from someone saying, "Look, they wanna, they wanna go through my archives and see if they can buy images, and they buy like fifteen images, sixty thousand rand. Then you know, all my problems just disappear. Yeah. You know? Um. So, so, so it's also very important to create an archive that that will translate later on in, in years so not to so when i do like like i do family portraits sometimes even for free purely based on the idea that one i'm going to train myself to photograph family portraits um for a commercial at some point and you know pull up some of the references and some of the work that i've done already and secondly is if someone pulls out an archive of my or archive they see these these family portraits or, or individual portraits and go, look, can I buy that? I call that family up immediately and say, listen, you weren't thinking about this, but here's an extra an opportunity yeah. that's coming in your direction. Um, if you agree and see yourself on a sunlum pad next week. But that is also ways in which that this business can be sustainable. You know, I've got a, a very strict, strict thing that I wake up every day and I, I say to myself, if I'm Every day, a photograph is needed. And if I'm not there to take that photograph, then I'm sleeping on myself. Hmm. You are listening to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast, a podcast in which I chat to Africans from across sections of society and sectors, including art, culture, design, business, and creativity, to name a few. I delve into their journeys, the decisions they've taken to get to where they are, how they do what they do, and everything in between. Essentially, we go wherever the conversation takes us. So what's your day like? I mean, what's my day like? Yeah. Um, uh, my days are usually, my, my, you know, because you know, Joburg is Joburg is a is a different type of beast. If you miss emails on a Monday and your to do list on a Monday, you try and sleep on a Tuesday, and I hope that you can probably do it on Wednesday, Thursday. You by Wednesday you have to you have to already call your week done because you've missed that first two days, right? So my Mondays are very like admin based. Um, I'm usually calling up, texting people, um, looking at references and thinking about what I can photograph next and maybe use that as leverage to either get into good books of a, a organization or see if I can assist an organization go like the one that I'm working on now currently, which is Cybono. Um, you know, it's seeing opportunities where, you know, where photography is needed and how I can use that to leverage, um, either my projects going forward or just purely based on giving. Cause I also believe in, in comic energy in order for you to, to get what you manifest. Part of, part of that is giving of yourself. You know? Um, so, so my days usually start off with a, a strong meditation at six o'clock in the morning, then gym, um, because I believe in, in, in different ways to communicate with God, because sometimes you, you can be in the very uh, calm, meditative state. But if you, you also set intentions when your, your heart rate, heart rate is like really pumped up to, a, to like 126, uh, you know, beats, um, or 180, like if you keep if you keep that going uh, for like an hour, and your conversation with God is different, even your 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 aesthetic or your your perception of the day is completely controlled. Mm. Um, then I go into admin, a lot of phone calls, a lot of a lot of calls, a lot of texting. Social media is also a very big part of my business because I don't have a I didn't have a website until today actually no yesterday yesterday was the first first day of 
the beginning of this website that I've been building. Um, so social media usually is a big part of it. So I have to be posting online, trying to use my use images because Instagram has given us such a great platform for photographers to kind of sell themselves. Um, as much as people use it to flaunt and floss their lifestyle, but for photographers, ah, if it wasn't for this thing, honestly, it would be so hard going door to door mm. looking for, 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 for opportunities to take photos. So that's kind of what my day is like. Um, and because I'm single now, so I've been, you know, occasionally looking for dates. Occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be out all the time anyway, man. Like you're saying, Insta yeah, you know, Insta Instagram, Instagram gives us uh, glimpses into people's lives, but it's also partly illusionary because yes. when I follow, when we follow you, it looks like every weekend you're throwing parties with Akio and you're taking pictures of people. Yeah, no, no, no. I definitely don't throw any parties with Akio. I mean, those guys did me wrong there with that strictly soul thing. But photography is the space I kind of hide behind. If if you catch me out without my camera, chances are I'm very much more introverted. Uh, photography forces me to kind of like speak to people, which I enjoy doing. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of a lot of it is also draining in um, energy wise, hmm. emotionally. You know, you really have to sometimes have to be selfless and not think about what you're going through um, when, when, you're, when you're dealing with that, right? See, this so, is why I'm a writer. I don't hey, have to go. I, I don't have hey. to go talk to people. Hey, and that's that's <laughs> the great thing about. I mean, well, it's a, it's it's a it's a, a double-edged sword, right? Because one side is great to cut with, and then. Sometimes it cuts into you, you know? Yeah, um, no doubt. But I'm sure that there are, are moments where it's important to interact with people in order for you, like people watch, because I mean, you write to sit in people watch for days. I'm sure like the, the ideas of what people's conversations are like versus what they actually are doing uh, is way more entertaining in your head than, uh, than, uh, than, than, than the reality. Mm. But 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 when it comes to when it comes to my my I socializing, I'm actually really bad. I spend most of my time at the crib uh, more than anything. If I can avoid going out, trust me, I do. And family, I mean, we've talked about your father quite a bit, but I also realized that you have a certain relationship with your mother. What yes. was what was her influence over? on this journey as you're going down the same path as well the the next version of of the the path that your father led so if it wasn't for my mom i don't think that i would have seen photography as a business i would have been a barefoot artist um trying to just document what i think is important that's it and there's no commercial aspect to it i if it wasn't for my mom, I don't think I would have traveled as much as I have because um, because of the opportunities that they were created. Because of my mom, I actually started. That's where I did marketing. I I had not, I had no clue about marketing at the time. And my mom forced me into it. She said, "Look, if I'm going to pay for any sort of education, I'm not going to pay for photography. That's for damn sure. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put you into marketing and see whether or not it's something for you." Um, and, and because of that, um, and many other things that I thought that she was being horrible to me <laughs> for, but actually just giving me a lot of backbone and, and, and thick skin in order for me to be, pers um, persistent in, in my, 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 my dreams of, of living a soft life, you know? Um, cause obviously my mom had to deal with the, the artist side of my dad and she was like, she vowed to herself, never, ever, is she ever going to go in that route again? Mm -hmm. So she didn't, she, I mean, she ended up, um, well, her next relationship was, was a guy that, that really got, gave me the, 
the perspective that I currently have about how to recognize opportunities and, and create something out of that. Uh, his name was Bongani Kesso, and he started uh, Soweto. No, no, not Soweto. He started Sunday World. Mm. And watching him create this this publication was like, was probably the most uh, privileged opportunity I've ever really got to see how, how someone can start something from the from ground um, and, and be as successful and sustainable as it is still today, you know. Um, how so, has that, that molded you as a father? Because you're also a father, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it ha- you know, wh- one thing that I've, it's, it's molded me in, in the sense that there is, there's, there's a possibility to, to have great balance between um, a career and, and a family life. Because, you know, there's, we we're always, I was always meant to believe that I would have to sacrifice, which I did in the past. I mean, I, I, I taken a lot of opportunities and, and that was at the detriment to my relationships. And, mm. and I knew that this wasn't really what I wanted for myself. It was something that I, I can't continue doing. You know, it was sustaining my social and my emotional point, my, my, my emotional um, state of being. Hmm. because, um, you know, having family and being a part of a family is very important. And choosing your career over that is, sometimes it's, it feels a, like a, it's a great opportunity then and there. But then later on, it just, it, you know, there's, you're filled with a lot of regret in the sense that that you, you miss out on, on opportunity. And some people become resent, resentful to you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think communication and being open and, and timing things correctly is what I got taught um, from, for, from that old man. Hmm. Yeah, you know, What's your relationship dad, like with your kids? He's single now. No. My dad's single. He's a, like, he believes, like, he always tells me, you know, you must be like a, a white photographer. White photographers, they don't care about relationships. They don't care about, well, this is the, miscon- the misconception yeah. in the conditioning I was taught. You know? And white photographers didn't care about relationships. They didn't care about, um, you know, going on an assignment and looking for, for vagina. They would be, the, the only black photographers do that. As soon as they land in PE, the first thing that they want to do is start calling all this, calling out, calling which woman that they know. Um, to make their stay comfortable. But, you know, white photographers, all they ever do is just work, work, pump out work from, you know, and that, that's, that's the sacrifice they willing to make for their craft. What, what, look, look with that. I mean, I, I, I am of a different, slightly different view um, yeah. in, ter- in, ter- in terms of, in terms of the sac- the level of sacrifice for, for your art or for your career or for your work. Um, but I, like, I am curious in terms of, because, because your parents were both very influential in your life. I mean, they've, yeah. and you, you get it when you talk to, when, when one talks to you, interacts, interacts with you each in each in their own way has kind of helped you come into yourself and become yourself. Right. Um, and now, like you're saying, you're single, but you have children, um, how you know? How have you been navigating that then, in in terms of hopefully being you know having the same type of role in your children's life? So um, navigating that is very very difficult um, because you know the. And I'm, I've been denied, obviously, the opportunity to raise my son correctly on my own. Um, I've, even though I've showed all the, the, the capabilities of having the means to, to make that possible. Um, you know, for, for males in this country, it's kind of, it's really hard for them to have the type of support that most females have when having kids. You know, um, I hate, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I hate the idea of gender conforming, conforming or gender roles, but it's sometimes there are things that we just can't run away from. Like there's, 
um, struggles that, that some men have to go through in order for them to raise their kids the way in which they, they would hope for. Um, uh, so it is very difficult for me to come to terms with with what what that is, you know? mm. um, especially given our current state of 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 our South African climate, where where males are doing quite quite hectic things, you know, mm. um, and ha- having to to first sort that out before we can start talking about men's rights because it's or father's rights in this case you know it's a it's a very contentious conversation yeah uh, because you know as much as people could agree to it but then when it comes to the practicality or the practice of it then it becomes a different conversation you know mm. um so so uh, it, it's also forced me to kind of sometimes be disgruntled in the sense that i would want to go and hide in my corner and just work and forget about everything else. Um, but I know that there's, there's other ways to deal with it. There's, you know, uh, patience and, and kindness does, does serve, serve you well in the long run. Um, it's just that sometimes you want to see results immediately. You know? But, but being there for my, my, my son has been, is, is one of the, the most important things that I, that, that I put high on my um, my my priorities, hmm. um, but I also understand that children also go through moments where they realize that their parents had to go out and f- and fend and do things in order for them to be who they are. Is also the part where I'm I understand and I'm also appreciative of when my my mom giving me the opportunity, even though I fought her fought with her for a, a very long time to get my son. But now I see this as more uh, of an opportunity to to create the type of wealth and the type of comfortability that I need for 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 a sustainable upbringing for him, which is cool. I mean, whereas I grew up with my father and, you know, I had to start working at the age of 15. I started working at Sowetan and, and, and Akajo to look for um, constant or um, a, an income that will just kind of keep the lights on, you know. Um, but it was fun though. It was also great knowing that I'm contributing to his to to the fact that we can live in in a house together. I was raised by my dad and and you know um, looked after, went to high to school, and taught everything that I knew um, while still being there. So I'm. So I I'm, I feel very possessive of the idea that I want to do the same thing with my son, but but I think just given the circumstance and and what what others think is important um, in in raising the child, um, you know, is it's it seems like and that's why we my my. Resentment, or not resentment, resentment is a harsh word. But like my, I'm perturbed by the idea that, you know, we, women in males' lives are the only only real decision makers when it comes to raising children, you know. Um, like mothers, grandmothers, you know, aunts, everyone will have, have their opinion on how to do that. But... Um, I think maybe historically, because of historically men's positions and how they they grew up raising, some of them don't even be involved in, in their children's lives at all. But but like that history of how males are being undermined in the, the sense that they can't contribute um, equally, or if not more um, equally, and or at the same level as, as a woman at that point. Hmm. I think it's tied to what you talked about. Also, also there's just the kind of let's call it the current and past landscape or climate in this country, uh, where unfortunately what you have is that you have some men falling between the cracks because because it's overwhelmingly one way, um, those who are positive and are coming at it differently, um, it becomes very, very difficult. Um, I mean, like I, so I grew up in Lesotho and I was raised by my father. 
Um, and and so I remember when I first had kids, and I, I think I write about this, and I've talked about it quite a bit, where people would say, what, you know, what do you have to say to absent fathers in South Africa? And I'm like, I don't know what to say to them because it doesn't make sense to me. Um, it's it, it doesn't compute. It's like a total different paradigm from from my thinking, my upbringing, my perspectives on life. Um, because it's kind of like, like I always wanted children and I have children and part of my job is to raise my children. And it's, you know, it, that's how I was raised. And my father, we were five kids and we generally were all raised by my father. So it's like, okay, yes, the, you know, there's, there's an important role that both parents play. Um, but a father can also raise a child. Um, and that's what I was raised with. So even the idea that you can have a child and not care and just decide that actually this doesn't work for me and go kind of go about your life. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's like the old computer getting fried because it's, it's trying to process a, it's trying to process a, a problem that, is beyond it and that's and that's kind of how that's kind of how i approach it so it's like and that's that's the sad i guess the sad tragedy is that they'll be the minority um they'll be the minority who therefore have to suffer for it um but if we look at the other side which is i mean that's the original pandemic in this country right um you know, violence against women in particular is is for me the the kind of I guess the original epidemic, original pandemic in South Africa, and and it, and it can't be um, when you're talking. It it can't be easy being you because you have a certain you have a level of awareness and sensitivity and emotional intelligence that a lot of men don't have, and you interact with spaces with spaces with people who are firsthand dealing with all of this stuff. And then at the same time, you also kind of have to deal with your own, you know, with your own challenges and make sense of that being aware, being sometimes aware of even the optics. So I was just listening to you. I mean, I was listening to you talk and it's like, you're trying to find your words because you, you're also aware of the landscape that we're within. Mm. That's so true. And, and you're right, it is. And it's hard when you when you know that the latter exists, you know, and, you know, you've been into other societies where these things exist. And and it's frustrating. You, you, you can see where, how to join the dots, but those dots just don't want to join at all. Mm. You know, there's a level of, of understanding that it's just missing. And you don't, you don't know how to, how to bridge that gap. You know? Yeah, but but the only way to do it is is just be sensitive and, and be patient, right? Um, and hope that well, with whatever you are doing, that you that that one percent becomes, or your your action and your behavior becomes what is the new norm. You know? Yeah, my man. Thank you very much. Interesting. Cool. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Keep on keeping on, man. I mean, you. Like I said, I've, I've kind of followed, I've, I guess I've followed you, I've followed your career, I've followed your trajectory over the years. Um, and, so much. and, and we've always been speaking about this for years, but I mean, I, I never really took you serious more than I, you know, when you say that you're always like, I'm always like, oh, he's got so, so many important things on his mind. What's that? <laughs> Where would you have time on social media to do this? Dude, I sit in my I sit in my little corner, and the older I become, the more of a hermit I become. So, but thank you very much, man. No, thank you, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I, I truly, I really um, wish that this not only how you recognize others, that others constantly recognize the the, the, the work that you are doing. Um, you know, it, it, it's. And these are the, like the type of archives that I, I, I love. I, I love seeing and, and 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 being a part of because I know that it 
it truly will speak to a, a certain a group of audience that will that will continuously grow mm. emotionally, mentally, and physically. Um, but people look back at things like the stuff that you you are doing as as super important, uh, and 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 you need to keep on keep doing that, you know, uh, not for that purpose, but but to follow your yeah. Thanks, bro. Have a good weekend. All right. Bye. Have a great one. Bye. The Listen to Your Footsteps podcast is produced by Zebra Culture. If you have ideas of what we can do better, people you'd like us to have a conversation with, or would just like to share a thought, you can email me on info at zebraculture.com. To check out past episodes, go to kojabuffer.com slash podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, listen to your footsteps, check out kojabuffer.com slash book. There are details on the various spaces it's available at. I'd also appreciate it if you could leave a review or comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, there's the Zebra Culture by Kojabuffer newsletter where on a weekly basis, I share a curated list of articles, playlists, videos, etc. that have caught my attention. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it.